Welcome to episode number 12 of The Third Power. How you doing, everybody? I'm doing fabulous, Usman. How are you? I'm uh, I'm pretty snazzerific. Hey, sound, like it. <laughs> sound pretty excited over there. Yeah, I'm pretty snazzerific. <laughs> um, <laughs> my name is Usman Jamil. Uh, my co-host, Anthony Avatolo. Yo! And, and, that's, and that kind of makes me think, just random aside, like, I never quite got the whole, like... Does the term co-host, does it mean, like, because, I mean, it's like, you know, co, like, co-president or whatever, it just seems like they're both, but you never hear, like, I'm the co-host and the other person's a co-host, but I don't know, I'm totally going to say I'm a co-host and you're a co-host, I don't know. Well, you just say, you know, I'm here with my co-host, and I think that implies that both of you are co-hosts. Okay, gotcha. Day for linguistics. <laughs> we have some linguistics majors out there, so... Yeah. All right. This uh this episode we'll be talking about uh power. And it's like you know because we are the third power. I mean, power is a big thing when it comes to cube. And we're gonna be talking about uh, power versus non-power. But I mean, usually I think a lot of people talk in terms of power versus non-power. But we'll also be talking about like fast mana, uh, you know, stuff like that, and what kind of effect that has on a cube. Well, yeah, and specifically what kind of effect it has upon card evaluation for certain cards. Because obviously there are cards that increase uh, in value if you're running the Power 9, all the fast mana, uh, things like, you know, uh, Library of Alexandria. You know, even though we say power, it's kind of, I feel like Q power isn't just nine cards. I feel like it kind of expands beyond that into all the, the fast mana, the mana crypts, and the soul rings, and stuff like that. So, you know, we're going to talk about the cards that specifically interact differently when you have those cards in your cube versus when you don't. Sweet. I think it should be, in, should be a blast. Yeah, man, it should be a good time. Well, you recently, speaking of a good time, uh, you recently, last week, were part of a cube panel with uh, Limited Resources, right? Yeah, that was, a, that was pretty, pretty awesome. Like, the first time I did limited resources, I was really nervous. And I, even when I was talking with Marshall, like, before it, you know, we were just kind of riffing or whatever. Oh, some guy said say like less. All right, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> but, yeah, there was somebody, I remember being really nervous on the first one, and then on the second one, you know, it was a lot more relaxed. And it, it seemed to have gone a lot better. Like, it was me and... uh Taya Steele were guests, and we were just pretty much just, like, going, you know, addressing topics. There were some things that I wish I – there were some things that I felt like I was kind of called on the spot for, like, what card do you think is the most overrated card that people run in their cube? And I was just kind of put on the spot, like, uh, uh, um, uh, Skitherix, yeah, Skitherix. And that was just a – Well, if you, got to, way, if you got to answer it again, what would your question be? Or what would your answer be, rather? Uh, I'd say Rude Awakening. Like, I think it's a good card, but I feel it's, like, a lot of people... Like, I remember, at least back in the day, it was kind of just seen as some kind of, like, auto-include, just like you have to include in your cube. But, I don't know, I think at least with Terracidon, like, I think there's, you know, there's only room for so many huge finishers, and I think, like, I I like Terracidon a lot more, because it has a lot... I think its overall effect is better, like, obviously, Rude Awakening can win you the game from, you know, go. it can take your opponent from 20 to 0. But I think the overall, like, in the cases where it doesn't, like, say you get your opponent to 
you know, I remember there was a time when opponent cast Rude Awakening with Entwine, and it wasn't enough to kill me, and I think my opponent expected me to concede, and I was like, okay. Yeah. No, what you gonna I, do? I, I mean, I, I, I pretty much strongly disagree with that. I think Rude Awakening is, is one of the, the best ramp type cards, especially, you know, well, since it's on topic, um, without a bunch of fast mana, because the way you're gonna generate all that mana is by having a bunch of lands. Um, and I feel like, I've had multiple games where I've played, and I'm like, man, I pretty much have control of this game. The only card I can possibly lose to would be a Rude Awakening, and then I die to it. And there it is. Yeah. And then, I mean, I've also cast, like, every time I cast Rude Awakening, just, like, win the game. I mean, whether I've definitely it's had casting Rude Awakening and attacking with all the lands, or, you know, having tons of lands in play, you know, I, I, with style points, I've also cast Rude Awakening, retapped my lands, and, like, bane-fired them. <laughs> I've seen um, that happen too. Right, you know, but I I feel like Terastodon, while yeah, it's a big dude and it comes down and it's probably it's gonna have a huge impact on the game, especially if you get to blow up very important permanents your opponent has. Um but I feel like Rude Awakening, like the card just wins the game when you cast it. You don't have to cast the card and then well, I guess if they don't have a, a Doom Blade here to kill my nine nine, I'll be okay. Or if they don't untap and then wrath, like I feel like they're just very outside of counter magic. I feel like there's just very very few cards that beat a root awakening. So I mean, there, there are times that it can get blown out, but I mean, I don't, I don't like you can star storm, but I don't really care about that. That's just kind of corner case. It's like okay, shrug. Yeah, I mean, I happens, know, like, like yeah, you know, like them's really the breaks. Right. I mean, that's that's the risk. I mean, <laughs> right, the risk reward. But, but I, don't know, I think wins the game immediately. Um, or, you know, for all intents and purposes does. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the time, but I don't, I think, like, I've had it happen enough of the time where it just didn't, like, that case right there, I think, that example that I brought up, I think okay. the opponent had to attack, he was like, well, okay, it doesn't concede, I'll, I'll attack Liliana or something, and then attack you, and I was like, okay. But I don't know, like... Is that just because you're, it was player error on your opponent's part, like... I think that was, I think he, he expected, I don't know if he expected me to concede or because Liliana was going to go ultimate, but he didn't have enough lands to kill me, and I don't know, like, I, okay, I don't think he enough, messed but it if up. He, but if he gets to, if you're going to kill him with Liliana, casting that spell prevents him from losing the game and still makes a good bit of headway on your life total, I would imagine. Yeah, I think I ended up still coming back, though. I think I mean, it's it was fine, just, right, because it sounds like you were in a superior board position. I don't. I don't necessarily know about that. I think it was just kind of a, like a it's kind of... losing to the permanent that you have in play the next turn. It seems like you would have superior board position. Oh, well, Liliana wasn't going to go ultimate, like, anytime soon. Oh, okay. I don't think... I thought you said it was going to... Oh, I, I mean, I think she might have eventually. And by the way, I don't think I've ever had Liliana go ultimate ever <laughs> in cube, now that I think about it. Better get on that. Yeah, I know. i gotta got to get those achievement points. But yeah, I don't know. I think if I were to say... That and I think he also said like you could do underrated card as well and I was like no I gotta stick to my guns and and then punted by with Skitherix I was like ah oh well well but, you I know, mean you played Awakening and you know I I don't know I just I just really like the card and it's been nothing but you know huge tracts of land here so yeah I mean I think it's good it's just like I don't think it's like staple like I, I remember like before. I mean, I think it's definitely cuttable in, in smaller cube lists, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't think it's, like, garbage, but uh, I... Better not think it's garbage, or else we have a problem. 
Oh no, <laughs> thrown down. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I'll yeah. show you a rude awakening. <laughs> Sounds like it should be like it should be a WWE move or something. The rude awakening, like Rick Rude. Did he have a? Anybody watch wrestling back when Rick Rude was a wrestler? Did he have a move called the Rude Awakening? That sounds right. I don't know. I, I don't know. I I I was in, I don't know seven eight at the time. I, all I remember is woo. <laughs> that's that's all I remember about Rick Rude. So uh, I remember when I, like when I think of uh, whatever the Mercadian the Mercadian Mascard Undertaker. I think yeah, of yeah, the wrestler. Yeah. But yeah, I think that like yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Undertaker. I think of. You know, think of a wrestler and not right. a spell shaper that brings stuff back from your grave. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, you know, on, as far as the, uh, the the Q panel, now, from what I remember, uh, Marshall went and elicited questions uh, from Twitter and from other sources. And I, went, I wanted to put it out there for you guys who are listening as well, that if you have specific questions about cube-related topics um, – whether it be, I saw some people ask about shuffling, people ask about how you make, uh, how do you make packs, ways to play, anything like that, guys. Just, you know, hit us up on Twitter, uh, send us, send the, uh, an email to the show, and we'll happily answer any questions at all on here. I mean, Usman might even tell you what kind of underwear he wears on Wednesdays when we broadcast. <laughs> Depends if he get a, gets asked enough. That's I, true. I mean, I, I'm just putting that out there. If you get enough requests, you know, he might even tell you. But if it crosses that threshold, those right, seven cards. Exactly. So if you get seven, right, seven times. If you get asked seven times. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so by all means, guys, hit us up. Yeah, definitely. And definitely, like, I know, like, back in the day, like, when I was building my cube, there wasn't much information. And I still think there's there's more information now, but it's useful to have all that information. Well, and it's and it's helpful to bring it up, too, so... Yeah, because it keeps it keeps things in, in people's minds. Uh, the same thing too, and you know, when I start listening to podcasts as well, you know, I'm probably not going to go back and and listen to the entire history of them. I mean, I'll go back and listen to some, but I'm not going to listen to every single one. So there may be things that were brought up that haven't been mentioned in a while. So you know, don't don't be embarrassed about about asking it because well, this seems really obvious, and I'm sure they already said it, but. You know, unless it's a major show topic and you can see that in the uh, history, then I wouldn't be too embarrassed about asking. I mean, what's the worst we're going to do? Make fun of you on the podcast or being dumb? I mean, <laughs> not answer your question. So, all right. There, there are bigger things in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think it's about that time. Let's go ahead and uh, do Z-Old Crack-A-Pack. What do you say? Sweet. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to use my cube again. I know we're using it two weeks in a row. Um, this is just so you guys have an idea, 540-ish uh, cube, unpowered, no fast mana, uh, no reusable fast mana, I should say. Um, I don't know. Not really too much else to uh, to say about that other than uh, Usman's cube is going through some housekeeping right now. So Yeah, I need to take some pictures of it and get it uploaded, but it's all in, still in section, so it's kind of a mess. All right, well, here we go. Here's 15 cards. Let's see how fast we can... Get through this and see how obvious this is. Card number one, Garden Hellkite. Hmm. Card number numero dos, Gideon Jura. Oh, hello. That's a that's a good one. Numero tres, Misty Rainforest. Hmm. Number four, our friend from last week, Cultivate. Ah, yes. 
Number five, Fire Imp. A pimp. Number six, Dromar's Charm. Uh, this is the Esper card that I run because I haven't been able to find a, uh, a foil Sphinx of the Steel Wind yet. And oh, wow, that would be expensive. Yeah, I just haven't seen one in a binder yet. And I'm actually perfectly fine with Dromar's Charm. But I, I, I wouldn't mind having a Sphinx as another Tinker target if I can eventually get one. I'm too much of a snob now to put a non-foil one in them. <laughs> All right, <laughs> card number seven, Soltari Priest. Okay. Card number eight, Rancor. Card number nine, Staggershock. Card number ten, Morphling. Hmm. Card number eleven, ooh, Sword of Light and Shadow. Oh, nice. Card number twelve, Wild Mongrel. Salvage Batop Bastard or whatever. Hard. Uh, 13, Sacred Foundry. 14, Pristine Angel. Hmm. And 15, Phyrexian Arena. Oh, nice. So yeah, there's, there's some, there's some pretty nice cards in here, I think. Yeah, there's, uh, there's some definite niceness. So the two cards, at least for me, the two cards that jump out at me immediately are Sword of Light and Shadow and Gideon Jura. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, obviously all the rest of these cards are really good. Uh, I could definitely, if you're, if you're, you know, good old rock, nothing beats rock, if you like that strategy, I could definitely see drafting Brixian Arena here. Um, granted, Sword of Light and Shadow is also very good in that deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you like to play with the red aggros, I could see taking Stagger Shock or Sacred Foundry. Um, to give yourself a head start once again, though, Sword is so good in that in those kind of decks. Yeah, I guess like it's another good one for the Rock. If you like green aggro, Rancor is obviously, you know, e- equipment the beta version of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, or the Urza's version. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, it's the it was the beta testing version before they decided to do it for real. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I, I think I'm just going to snap Sword of Light and Shadow here. Um, obviously, yeah. not as good as some of the other swords, but, you know, still a sword and still dumb. Um, How would you... Uh, I guess I'll put you on the spot. How would you rank the swords? And that's my, that's my pick as well, Sword of Light and Shadow. How, like, would, how would you rank them in I power? I rank them currently without us knowing sort of uh, War and Peace. Um, I would definitely... Uh, sword of Fire and Ice, number one. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sword of Feast and Famine, number two. Um, Sword, and I think the next two are kind of about the same. Um, Light and Shadow and and Body of Mind. I probably uh, put Body of Mind next uh, because it's got a a much bigger, in a a 40-card format, it's got a much bigger clock attached to it than just the the extra two damage. Um, But he's won a couple times with it, you know, three times with it, they're dead. <laughs> if it's if it's you know late enough in the game, two times and you're dead. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like this, while Sword of Light and Shadow, obviously, you know, all these cards are very good. I feel like the three life is the weakest of. I, I think the three life and the mill ten are the weakest abilities of the group. Um, but the problem well, with the mill ten though is that the first one is terrible, but the third one wins you the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the first one is completely, for the most part, insignificant. Um, you know, obviously you're significant. Well, I can mill their stuff, but, yeah, you can also mill them to the right card. I don't want to get into that whole argument. But I feel like that ability doesn't do anything until the last time. 
So I, I feel like those two are the weakest abilities. And the returning creature to your hand is obviously very good, too. But I, I don't know. I just feel like even though they are good removal colors protection from, um, I, I think I would have to I, I think I would have to put them kind of equal uh, equal footing on as far as less. But otherwise, it's definitely Certifier Nice One, Sword of Feast and Famine 2, and then the, the next two kind of in the same area. Granted, yeah, just kind of iffy all of them are absurd. So, oh, yeah, they're all going to be... And I'm assuming War and Peace is going to be just dumb. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it's not. I mean, Protection from Red is so good. And White. I mean, both removal colors, like... You know, it's it, they're, they're just so good. And if the abilities do anything relevant at all, it's just going to be dumb. So. I mean, I like. I, I'm I'm guessing the white one is gonna be like Frost Titan something, and the red one I have no idea. It seems like all of them have like one effect where they help you, and one where they hurt something. Like Feast and Famine untaps your lands and makes them discard. Okay. And then like you get a a wolf, and then you mill them for ten. At least with the new ones, but, the old ones. Yeah, didn't. Sword Light and Shadow is just two positive effects for you. There's no negative effect. Yeah, like the old ones don't follow that, but the new yeah, ones it seems like. Well, the Fire Nice does because it shocks them or one of their guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's. I yeah. Think Light and Shadow is the only one that doesn't follow that strategy. And maybe that's why I like it the least because it doesn't proactively negatively affect your opponent, but I don't know. Yeah, like I think that probably. Yeah, that probably would be... I would consider it the weakest, but, I mean, it's it's a sword. <laughs> I mean, come on. What about your order? Uh, fire Ice... I think I would say Fire Ice at the top, Light Shadow at the bottom, and then probably Feast and Famine, and then... Uh, yeah, Feast and Famine, and then Body and Mind, and then Light Shadow. And, like, that one time we drafted your cube, and then, like, I had kind of a blue-black control deck with... I think, I forget how many creatures, there weren't many, like, I'd say maybe five or something, there weren't many, and then Sword of Feast and Famine, there were more creatures than that, maybe like seven, but, you know, Sword of Feast and Famine in the control deck is, blue base control deck, my bad, so good. Yeah, I mean, just getting to untap your lands, I know people were kind of poo-pooing that ability off the off the beginning when they first revealed it, and I was trying to tell people, like, man, untapping your lands is so good. I mean, even if it's just, like, you have five mana in play, you know, five lands in play, and you basically just get to play and equip a sword for free? Mm-hmm. I mean, Move that's tier. absurd. I and mean, especially in a control deck where you have reactive spells, like, you know, removal spells, counter spells, things like that. You get to get your bash on, and then you still get to hold back and play defense. So that, that's why I like it. I mean, I think if it weren't for the fact that, you know, Fire and Ice draws you a card, Feast and Famine would be would be number one. But just the draw a card thing. Yeah, is, drawing a card is And whenever ridiculous. you draw a card, it just automatically elevates the level of power on a card, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have high hopes for War and Peace. Don't let me down, Wizards. Yeah, well. Don't let me down. We'll see. I mean, I can't imagine it's going to be terrible. I would hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll find but out. I mean, no matter what, even if just, like, even if it's like, uh, like, if it literally does nothing for the triggers, I mean, double protection is with on two removal colors is just so good. I have no idea what his abilities are going to be, but you no, know, I don't know. I mean, they, they, yeah, I'm sure they're not going to be terrible. I, I, that's the thing. Was, well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about that when when time comes for sure. Yeah. 
Alrighty, that was a pretty easy cracker pack. Like everything yeah, else, like you know, I would maybe I would probably drop Dromars. You know, pretty if I was to see in a pack, I'd be like a drop Dromar. Yeah, you can't then, pick that first. Just three colors, you know. No, but everything else is pretty solid. But just like on that upper tier, mm-hmm. like is or like Gideon, and then on the very top is Light and Shadow. It's like, hmm, well that was easy. Yeah, and you know, you know, Gideon's just you know a better card than Pristine Angel for for a white deck. Yeah, you know, there's just a certain hierarchy of things like that, but yeah, those two were just far and away the best cards in the pack. So pretty easy. Yeah, it is. It was no Sol Ring though. No. <laughs> speaking of Sol Ring, I was about to say. Speaking of which, you go into a little bit about the uh, the influence of you know like the power fast mana kind of thing, and just like its overall effect. In, you know, overall effect on how it affects your cube and blah, blah, blah. Well, sure. I mean, I, I, I would think that the first one is that any any draft that sees it, it's going to naturally speed the games up, games up a little bit. Uh, not only can you break the rules by, you know, playing multiple mana in a turn, but the nice thing about things like the Moxes, for example, is that you can just replace a land with it, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't have – I mean, you, I guess you don't – you could. You don't have to. Um you know, if you're a very mana-hungry deck and you want lots of mana in your deck, so you want it, if you're a control deck and you want to be playing, you know, mana each turn, but the option is there. Uh, I and, frequently, you know, yeah. Every time I've drafted, like I said, and I, I I know, you know, I've I've drafted enough cubes where when I'm playing, you know, fast mana cubes, the games definitely just feel different. Everything is just accelerated a bit. Um, obviously, that's not the case if you don't, no one draws any. But I find that that doesn't really happen either. Always wind up drawing some of it, you know, early enough to be important. Um, I mean, I'm sure it does happen, but I don't. I haven't remembered it happening. Uh, but the games that it does come into play, uh, I just feel like they're just way accelerated in one way or the other. Um, I also feel like it. <clears throat> excuse me. Another thing too, and I, people are kind of underestimating this a little bit. I think if you're including the power. Um, you're dramatically increasing how good blue is. Yeah, and I think well, I'm probably going to bring it up later in the episode. Like, like blue and black, probably more blue got like such a you know, like a lot of them are just early mistakes from wizards, and they really messed up in terms of those with blue, like the ancestral and time walk and like time twist or whatever. It's like. Well, you know, you're gonna mess up, totally mess up for blue. That well, right, because geez. they they assigned each of the colors a role. You know what I mean? And it just so happened that blue's role was by far the most broken. Yeah, be good. That's its role. Cards, you know. Yeah. Hey, white, you get extra life, but blue, you get extra cards. Those are the same, right? Yeah, right? and and that's kind of that whole that whole boon cycle with right. them, like ancestral bolt, giant growth. Ritual and then healing salve and healing salve is like the the want want right and and you know cemented white for the for many years has a terrible color yeah for it took some time for it to, like white weenie was good back in the day and it, and then it kind of like didn't do anything until I, don't know, I guess white lightning especially rebels is like the big one like yeah you know, Re- rebels came back around like the, and then it came back again with Kefkin and like the token decks were good. Uh, you know, white was good again. The, the free, yeah, the first, the very first iteration of good white decks were the uh, Army of Allah white decks, 
or yeah. the uh, Cataclysm land tax, white tax, you know, tax rack and things like that, where, you know, you get your, you get your Sultari priest with your Imperial armor and then you blow up everything except for those. Uh, and then yeah, your I, second I, version of that, right, would be the, the waylay decks, uh, you know, waylay and abeyance and things like that. The next version was rebels for sure. But, you know, the best rebel deck had blue in it for Absorb and, and other cards, so... Oh, Counter Rebels? Yeah, by far just the best version of that. Um, and then again with Kithkin. And then we just saw, I think, starting with uh, uh, the middle set of Alara Block. Conflux. Conflux? Once uh, Path to Exile was printed, I think we really started to see a ramping up of white cards in power, too, to try to help catch it up to everything. Yeah, I remember for a while, white was horrible, and Evan Irwin would always go on about how white sucked. And then now, like, gr- I think green needs a booster shot. Green and black, I think, probably need a booster shot. I mean, green's really good. I mean, the thing is, is you know, one of the best decks in the format is exactly, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's based around mountains, but it's exactly what green is assigned as. You get a Your bunch ramp, of lands in play, and you play a large monster. And that is a formula for a winning deck. Mm-hmm. A dominating winning deck in the format, at least until uh, all the Callblade decks and, and Jace and all that have, have yeah. taken things back over. But the, nice you know, this is an ideal, the ideal green deck. The problem is, is that there aren't that many awesome green cards. Like there are some of them are super. I mean, obviously, like Lotus Cobra is super awesome. Vengevine is pretty darn good. You know, unfortunately, we're just seeing a format right now where those cards aren't given the chance to shine. But I think there are some pretty big heavy hitters in in green right now um you know people always complain that those are their you know no one ever complains that blue's not good enough but people <laughs> always complain that like uh white cards and green cards aren't good enough to be honest in my opinion the the color that needs the most help right now is black black, black definitely does terrible right now i mean i like inquisition of kozilek and that's about it right now. I mean, sure, Go for the Throat's fine and Doomblade's fine, but the only card I really like in black is is Inquisition right now, and that's that's no bueno. Maybe it's this kind of, set will help a little bit, but it's kind of telling on the format. Like, and I'm kind of on the outsider looking in. Like, I don't play standard because I'm broke, and it's not really you know EV wise, it's not worth my time. Sure. But like Skin Render, you know, being kind of like an analog to Flame Kankavu, you know, obvious differences. You know, like can't deal four, only deals three. Uh, harder casting costs, but the fact that that is like almost unplayed in the format—that's just like. I mean, it is unplayed. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, like it's. What is he? What are you gonna do? Make their Titan a three-three? Oh boy. Right. Like okay. I mean, I guess that does something, but it doesn't do enough because they still get to attack with it and still get their bonuses again. You know. Yeah. Or kill their uh their squadron hawk with feast and famine. Oh wait, no pro oh, black. No. No. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is it shows you an example of how format-dependent things are because, you know, that card is unplayable in Type 2 right now, but that card was pretty much an auto-inclusion for Cube. Yeah, when they'll slam that. Like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, pure ring of foil. Right. Like, so, you know, things are, are very format-specific, and I think that's a, a pretty good example of that. But, yeah, but I think black needs help, and I think that we should bring it back around and... Go back well, to topic. Well, I mean, it's kind of similar, like, format-dependent. I mean, some cards are more format-dependent and, you know, uh, absolutely. cards That's what affect we're a format. Right. Yeah. 
And I think also, like, you know, like, and I think that was an interesting point you brought up that last time, like, we kind of talked about it with, you know, the fast mana and power, is that it it's good for a lot of decks, but it tends to lean towards control. I mean, blue, obviously, because of, you know, blue being mostly control color, but even still, like, the mana vault, uh, kind of, like, mana vault, definitely better in control, like, nice turn to Liliana Vest there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Like some others, like Mana Crypt, better in aggro. Uh, Soul Ring is pretty much universally ridiculous. Library, I'd probably consider Library universal, but you yeah. know, definitely better in. Con- I would say it's better in control. Well, it's better in control because you get more activations out of it, and you're not emptying your hand like you are with an aggressive deck. Yeah, precisely. You're most li- even, or if like you draw it on turn with five cards in hand, usually it isn't that much of a trouble to get back up to seven. We could just well, you know. Yeah, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but the you know speaking of Soul Ring and Library, I think Soul Ring and Library are probably in some order one and two of, of best cube cards possible. Um, but you know where they're they're definitely both universal, but they're both definitely better I think in non-aggressive decks. And let me tell you why I think why why I think why. Well, one we just talked <laughs> about works. Library, you know being better when you keep your hand full. And as a control deck or even as a mid-range deck, you know, you're typically you're keeping your hand full, more full in the early game and to mid-game than you are um, with an aggressive deck. And I think about aggressive decks too, and yeah, like Soul Ring does help you play, you know, power out your fours and your fives a lot quicker. But the thing is, is I think of all the really, really nice aggressive decks and all the really nice aggressive decks that I think of have lots of one, you know two power one drops and double colored two drops and things like that. And neither of those cards make colored mana. Yeah, the really like, concentrated costs like you know so, one you know, and double white or something. Like exactly, like, or something. You know, you're like turn one figure of destiny, uh, turn two, you know, random knight or. Uh, I mean, even something like Plated Geopede, uh, you know, as a colorless mana or whatever, but, you know, they, you're still wasting mana. Like, these are all cards you want to get down on the first couple of turns. So, given the choice, I'm always, you know, unless I just have a, an absurd opening with lots of, like, really powerful, like, fours and fives and things like that, like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like you want to be playing creatures and you want to be doing damage in the early game before your opponent can get set up. That's just just kind of the way aggressive works, you know? Yeah, just get a bunch of damage in the early game, get as much as you can, and then, like, finish them off, essentially. But, yeah, if you can't hit... Soul Ring and Library don't really help with those goals as much. I mean, you can, of course, like, uh, Soul Ring into Bone Splitter Equip or something, but for the most part, it fits better into Control decks where they can you know, go, like, Soul Ring Signet or, like... Right. Three or like a second turn soul ring man or bouncer guy or something. Right. I mean even even just, you know, the control decks and even if you're on the play, you're just you know, on the draw rather, you're like draw up to eight, play library, go. On your turn, tap it to go up to eight, draw to go to nine, mm-hmm. play a card, play something else. You know, if you have a one drop or you discard something irrelevant. Draw, draw back up to eight during your turn. Untap, you know what I mean? Or if you have a fast mana that you can play, you know, it's just, it just lends itself to helping the 
control or mid-range decks more. At least that's yeah. that's that's the way I kind of feel about it. So I feel like that has an impact. Now, granted, those are only those two. Something like Black Lotus obviously is just absurd in any deck, but I think mm-hmm. it's really super absurd in the aggressive decks because you're getting all that color mana and you can just crap out your hand on the board and like have you know possibly you know four to six power of guys on turn one. So yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I, I played a. Uh, a match with uh, at GP Atlanta with uh, Alex Ferdinandini's cube, and my opponent uh, just both games he won went turn one planes, Mox Pearl, Lotus, Crack Lotus, Tap Mox, uh, Savannah Lion, another one drop like Mom. What even? Aven Sky or Core Sky Fisher, pick up the mocks, replay the mocks, <laughs> tap them both, you know, night or whatever. You know, it's just like what? Skull or Skull Clamp equip. <laughs> and I was just like, Jeez. man, like what am I supposed to do about this? You know? Wow. And and, and like that may seem outlier like, but I mean the man did it two out of three games. Wow, first turn. Yeah. I mean, Jeez. one time I think didn't involve, uh, didn't involve as many creatures, but he still went, you know, Landmox, uh, Landmox Lotus, Skyfisher, get an extra mana out of the, the Mox, a piece of equipment, or another creature and Bone Splitter go. You know, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck, sir. And the thing was is that one game I actually had a nice uh I had an accelerating draw into uh a turn two Wrath of God, I think it was. Because I was a blue white control deck and I had uh I had Sol Ring. Oh, okay, gotcha. But then, you know, he's just like skull clamp go and it's just like, well, that kind <laughs> yeah. of sucks. And Do I want to kill these? Just wound up drawing a billion cards off of off of that and died. So yeah, it's, great story. Yeah, I think, and I think that's a, an effect that cube, that power has on cubes. It, it creates these really swingy kind of memorable effects, like like that, or like attack for Infi, time walk, attack for Infi again, kill you, or like time walk, or even like top decking ancestral or whatever stuff like like or soul ring and by the way like i totally would say soul ring and library are much i would say are definitely better than all of the power for sure like i'd say soul ring is number 1 then library is number 2 and then everything else is like ancestral is number 3 maybe time walk yeah. number 4 i mean i i'm down with that that seems about right to me having not played with them a ton that seems right to me okay or at least some kind of order to that but yeah soul ring is definitely number 1 in my book but yeah, just yeah. I think I that's feel like they're one and one a. But yeah, <laughs> if I had both of them in a pack, I would be hard pressed which one to pick. If it was pack one, pick one. It would probably be one of those things where I put both cards face down on the table and told the person next to me to pick one, and I just mm-hmm. picked that one past the rest. Like, I mean, someone is just hey. yeah, just. And I think that is like in terms of mistakes in design. I think that definitely was so huge because. It it kind of makes me think of like a colorless mox that you know you pay one and you get two and then it's just such a huge mana boost it's it's really crazy. 
Well, yeah, but I think on your first turn, you're already jumping one turn in mana development. You're going from one to two. And on the next turn, you're already ahead by two full turns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, instead of being on two, you're on four. I mean, so you're, you're just bypassing kind of magic fundamentals, you know, of having one mana on turn one, two mana on turn two, you know, the whole, the whole curve aspect, you know, that Magic didn't know about in the beginning, but we're, we're very well aware of now in the depth yeah. of and So, yeah. So, you know, there's definitely those kinds of things, and I think it definitely creates very big, swingy games. And, yeah, I think a lot of people do remember, you know, the, I guess it was in Rounders and, you know, lots of poker people. You know, you talk about, you know, you always remember those big, giant hands. You know, you don't remember all the hands you won, but you remember those the, the big, giant hands you lost or you only remember the big swingy things, you know what I mean? Like, I went in on pocket aces and... Right, oh my god, I got bad beat. I had pocket mm-hmm. aces and some dude just called me with 2-7. Yeah, go, go yeah. like, on tilt, like, uh, who's that guy, Phil Helmuth? Oh, you just start yelling at people? Yeah, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> and I do that anyway, but... This guy says, this guy says, like too much. Right. <laughs> this guy likes door to nothingness too much. <laughs> so, all right. Well, do you want to talk about some cards that definitely are, are format dependent with uh, power slash fast mana and no? Well, I think maybe you just want to go over the over effect a little bit more. Just oh, like sure. maybe, well, maybe like, like, like I think it, it kind of has a kind of self-regulating effect to a point. Like I think in smaller cubes, I think maybe that happens more. Like I, I remember there was a a draft where I think, and people kept passing me Moxon. I think by the end I had like three Moxon. And I was like, um, you guys realize Moxon are good, right? Just, just saying. It's fun you guys know. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sometimes, like, I think an opponent, like, I remember having plenty of drafts where I had like two Moxon and I scrubbed out because, like, the powerful cards are definitely, like, among the upper tier of cube cards. And I don't, you know, necessarily not having them in your deck isn't necessarily just going to win you the game. Like I think some people, when they when they're new to cube, they think, oh, it's all about just just draft ancestral recall and you'll win. It's like no, that no, that's. I mean, you still have to draft the deck, you know. Yeah, I mean, you can't totally donk it out. But even still, like I said, I remember drafting like double mox in a deck and still scrubbing out because I mean, you know what happened, kind of thing. And and and, I don't know. I think self regulation kind of happens to a point in. Like empowered lists, but I think definitely, and also I think that that self regulation also happens over the long term. I think in in like a cube's history, like like you know if I do ten matches, you know if for example I I draft like a nut blue deck with like ancestral and time walk and mox ruby and sapphire and 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 everything or whatever in library and soul ring and just everything ridiculous that'll happen in one draft. But I think over the long term, like those ridiculous things aren't going to happen as often. I but even the, kind of even the little edges matter so much, though. I mean, just just even if you have you know a single mox, and you know if you're the control deck that you have counter spell available or remand available on turn one, and then three mana available on turn two, I think those things have a pretty big impact. I, I think obviously that it's mitigated by well, your opponent has the fast mana too. You know, yeah, they have access. Anytime to that yeah. happens, you know you're you're on somewhat equal footing because you know the games are faster, but the games are faster for both of you. 
I think where it causes issues, where it can cause issues, is when one person has them and the other person does not. It's basically, you know, it winds up becoming like playing type one against a extended deck. You know, yeah. where you're getting a chance to do all the stuff you want to do turns early, but they have to play fair and cast their three drops on three and their four drops on four. So I, I mm-hmm. think that's the situation that I don't necessarily like about it in the long term. Like I said, I think it's a, like I've said before, I, I think it's a really fun place to visit and it's really cool to hang out there, but I don't want to live there. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to see any more of those types of games where one person just gets completely blown out by the other one because of a very small group of cards. Yeah, and I don't know, like, myself, I don't necessarily mind, like, those blowouts. Like, I remember somebody describing it as, like, a magic or cube masochist. Like, I remember there was one match where somebody drafted Counterburn, and they never drafted it before. They're like, man, I'm drafting Counterburn for the first time. It's going to be awesome. I'm like, sweet. That's awesome. And not sarcastically. I was just like, sure. seriously, that's awesome. And then him going, I think I was at, like, eight or something, and then just, like, went burn spell, burn spell, uh, it was some some combination of like burn spells and then time time uh, spiraling and then uh, fire blasting me for the win. And I was like, that's ah. just yeah. It's like man, because I thought I was I thought I was good. I think I was at eleven life, and then him just burning me out with draw spells and burn. And I was like, oh. And I mean, it, it, that was kind of like I don't know if I'd say a bad beat. I don't really think it'd be a bad beat, but I don't know. I think like those plays, like if your opponent. Like, uh, you know, get some big effect, like, uh, tinkers into something ridiculous. Like, tinkers into a steel win, like what happened <laughs> when we were playing. Like, I wasn't, I, I was like, you know, that's cool. Like, I just wish we drafted my cube more. That was kind of like, you know, we, it was pretty much a single elimination, I think. But I think it was because of the legacy thing the next day. And right, everybody before, was ready to pass you know, out. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. or whatever. When we yeah, and then scrambling them. to find the decks the next morning. <laughs> right. It's like, where's my Tomb Stalker? Or whatever. Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing is like I, I I definitely think it's fun at times to do that. I just don't want it to happen all the time because I, I I'm very much of the opinion that playing you know when I lived in Phoenix we there were Type One tournaments fairly regularly, and whenever I played in them they were kind of fun to play because it felt like I was playing a different game of Magic than the game I had been playing the rest of my life. Yeah, like playing Dredge or something? Yeah, like playing Dredge or, you know, I played a, you know... Well, I mean, I don't mean literally, just like, you know, when you play Dredge, it feels like you're playing a, not necessarily Magic, but kind yeah. of like a... Absolutely, it's just like a completely different game. And, like, I put stuff in my graveyard and do <laughs> and there's and, a and bridge below. Play, you know, I never wanted to play a deck like Fish, because, you know, I can play... Sorry about that, I apparently had some technical issues here. Comcast is kind of annoying sometimes. Yeah. My internet dropped out or something. But anyway, what I was saying is, you know, about fair decks versus non-fair decks. Um, that if, if unfair decks are available or decks that do unfair things are available, those are typically the decks you should be playing instead of trying to do the fair decks. I mean, I, I, have, a, I have a tournament report recently up on Quiet uh, Speculation, plug, plug, um, read it. about doing new things. And I really enjoy the zoo deck. I've always really enjoyed the zoo deck, but you can't convince me to play that deck right now because it, I feel like it's entirely way too fair. I mean, even Goblins has an unfair element to it. Um, and, you know, I wound up playing Counterbalance. Like, Counterbalance top is pretty unfair, plus you get to play Jace. 
You know, <laughs> I, I feel like those are the types of things you want to be doing. So if I wanted to play fish, for example, I, there's no reason for me to play fish in type one when I have access to all these really neat cards and really neat toys and unfair things like, you know, playing Tezzeret and tutoring up Time Vault or, you know, not spending any mana and killing my opponent on turn two with Dredge or, or mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, you know, I, I can play fish in, in other formats. And, and when I mean fish, I don't mean merfolk. I mean, like, the blue-red, possibly white, disruptive. Yeah, know, it's like Meddling Mage. Right. Meddling Mage and Grim Lava Mancers and all these, you know, all these little disruptive things and, you know, counter spells and phases and basically a bunch of annoyances. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stifle. Um, so, but I, I, so when I play, you know, uh, power cubes or whatever, it's just, I, I want to do degenerate things and it's nice to do them once in a while, but like I said, it feels like a different game to me. And I, I, I prefer my cube to be as good as it can be, but still have that, the game that I learned to enjoy and to play all this time. I guess that's that's basically my point about it. So makes sense. Yeah, just kind of like a. Uh, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> my train of thought just died. But okay, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I, oh, I think you should do that whenever we draft a train of thought and Ravnica a block draft. Nah. A card, uh, and you get to replicate it. Yeah, you can always like tap out the mana and just flip it on the table and go choo choo and draw draw five whatever. And each time you draw a card, you're like, chicka, 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 chicka. <laughs> yeah, it's good times. Jeez. I don't know how people don't play without, how people play without sound effects when they, when they play magic cards. I, I can't I, help it. I gotta be serious. I know. I, I can't help it. Sound effects are... Uh, magic is an auditory experience. It should. That's for sure. Yeah, I was about to say, at least it should be. Okay. Uh, before, and yeah, do you wanna... Go back on the topic before I, I made us go back onto it about like uh, I, I pretty much had my say about kind of overall uh, power in cubes and its effect and I definitely understand that you know I don't I don't want it to seem like I don't understand that obviously uh, power doesn't always have the effect the person with the power doesn't always win that game I mean the word always is a is a dead giveaway that it's probably not true yeah uh, if there's one thing my you know seventh grade science teacher taught me is that the words never and always are usually uh, anything but. Hmm, I like but, that. you know, let's just, you know, I have to have my say about it. I know, did, are you good with it? You yeah. have always say your piece about it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, just like I enjoy the, uh, you know, like the occasional blowouts. Like, I think they're interesting. But, I don't know, like I said, it's one of those different strokes, kind of different folks kind of thing. You sure. know, it's... But yeah, I think I, I think that's it. Yeah, at least on that. I don't know. Well, let's get to. I mean, maybe you'll think about more as we start talking about some cards that that are definitely uh, play differently in the two environments. Okay, that works. The Far first one would be like cards that get better with like the power, fast mana kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely like the one the one that I definitely thought of first was Tinker. Just because of like you know signet or moxin and signets and whatever, it's very you know it's pretty easy you know just go mo- draft some moxin and soul ring whatever and just go tinker into steel wind or battle sphere. Well, sure, and you can do that kind of stuff on turn one. You know, you're just like land mana crypt tinker, dude. Yep. Yep. Here's uh here's twelve power with my battle sphere. 
Right. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Go. Do you have a one-man wrap? <laughs> right. If not, good game. Do you have a card that does something like, they're like, no, I don't have a one-man wrap, but I have this here, Lotus and a Plains. <laughs> wrath of God. And I'm sure that's why people like Power Cubes, because, you know, no one's ever out of it. But I feel like no one's ever out of it otherwise, too. But, yeah, Tinker's, like... Tinker's uh, I mean, obviously, very important. And, and as you'll see, a lot of these cards are the same theme as we go along, too. Uh, the, the first card that, that comes to mind me immediately for having a huge difference between is uh, Gorilla Shaman. Oh, right. Yeah. Because, Mox Monkey. Th- yeah, Mox Monkey, because... Uh, I, I I feel like I you know I, where that card might be okay in non powerless. I just it just picks up so much steam in powerless, um, because you really just it just has so much so many nicer cheap targets. Like I don't want to play Gorilla Shaman and have to spend five mana to be blowing up Mind Stones and Signets and things like that. But I am sure as you know what. Uh-huh. <laughs> spending a red mana to blow up a Mox or a Mana Crypt or three mana reusable to blow up, you know, things like uh, uh, Mana Vault or, uh, you know, things of that nature. What's the other? Uh, Sol Ring. Sol Ring, you know, yeah. I, I'm much more okay with that because, so, you know, I even though there I'm sure, you know, Girl Shaman has plenty of okay targets, like, sure, you can blow yourself up a... Uh, you can blow yourself up a uh, skull clamp or whatever, but I feel like that card just is a huge difference. It having jumps. those kind of cards, and it, and it makes a difference too because because of the timing of it, because it is a cheap answer to those cards that before you get too far behind in the game by them being ahead of you on that. Yeah, uh, and I guess that kind of it makes me think also in terms of like you know general artifact destruction. Kind of like the the one that I think when we were talking about this topic before, like uh, Smash the Smithereens, mm-hmm. like that's definitely a big one, or like Ingot Chewer, like you know the kind of like evoke for one red mana kind of thing where you get the, uh, the ability to evoke it, kind of thing. And well, you yeah, can you deal with again, it gives you a cheap answer to a potentially big problem. Yeah. And I think Smash the Smithereens is fine. Is you know it's it's a fine card in non-powered lists and stuff. But I think you know I think uh, you know it definitely gets a lot better or gets a good amount better if you're running like Moxin and Lotuses and or Lotus. Not really good against Lotus. Yeah, not, not Lotus so much. No, but like your time or the Mana Vaults and all that fun stuff. But I think yeah, because I just think you need a, a there's more of an immediacy for cheap answers when those to the cards that are just going to get people so far ahead so fast, you know? I, I think all those, you're right, I think all those, the the faster artifact destruction stuff is just worth a lot more in value. Yeah. But like Ingature, for example, there's no way I'm playing Ingature in a non-powered list. But, I mean, and a lot of people don't play it in a powered list either. But yeah, I, 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 would, I would definitely consider it, especially if your list is on the larger side. I would definitely consider it. It's in the, uh, the the infinite size on deck binder. Yes, there is a uh, there's definitely a big on big on deck binder. All right. Yeah. Uh, one that one that you were talking. Well, I guess this is kind of the one that you were uh, we talked about before the show, but you know we were kind of talking about in terms of how playable it is in a powered list versus non-powered was a uh, Tezzeret versus ver- version one 
the original and the uh, blue black one, the Slave of Bullis. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's like at first I was kind of like Tezzeret's pretty, you know, it, it definitely is a lot better with power. I'm not sure how, you know, I, I'm I don't know. To be honest, I haven't really used Tezzeret much in a power in a non-powered list, so I'm not I'm not really. 100%, I guess, but... Well, the the thing about it is, is if you don't have the fast mana, so if you don't have, like, the multiple mana rocks, if you don't have, you know, the Grim Monoliths and the Soul Rings and the Mana Crypts and things like that, the issue is twofold. One is the card doesn't come out as quickly. I mean, it's five mana. If the card comes out on turn five, well, that's four or five turns of your opponent being able to play a lot of stuff to interact with it. Um, You know, even things just as creatures, you know, can be good enough to interact with it or have, you know, more time to assemble spells in their hand to deal with it. So that's the first part. The second part is uh, the plus one ability and the, the first two abilities for sure. I mean, the plus one ability, um, untap two artifacts. I mean, it's an, untapping a grim monolith and a signet is just so much more impressive than untapping, you know, two signets. Do you know yeah, or, I mean? like, or like a solemn simulacrum. Right, a simulacrum and a signet. Yeah. You know, if you're untapping a grim monolith and, you know, a mindstone, I mean, that's that's a big deal. You know what I mean? Or obviously you can do this in both lists, but, you know, or untapping something like Metalworker, um, you know, that's obviously a play for both cubes. But because the card is going to be coming down at a faster clip, you're probably going to have you know, you're going to be able to make better use out of what's going on. So I think the Tezzeret 1.0 is twofold in that it doesn't come out as quickly and there's not as many good things to untap. You don't get, a, you get some value, obviously, but you don't get as much value if you don't have, you know, even things like, uh, what is it, Thran? What, what's the turbine one that makes, it's like four mana and you... Thrandynamo? Or Thrandynamo. You know, if you play cards like that, those are the cards that you need in there to make that card really good. To you know, because you want to generate a big advantage when that guy comes into play. And if you don't have that stuff in your list, then well, I don't think it's as impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it would still be, it would be, it would get a downgrade, definite downgrade. That's that's added a lot to the conversation. It it's a downgrade. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's the way. I mean, well, I, I'm a little long winded sometimes too. So you know, that's that's the way I feel about that one. Now I've recently added, since you mentioned the uh, slave, uh, not slave of Bolus, uh, agents, of, agent of Bolus, Barn of Bolus. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> um. <clears throat> I have found that that card, I, I recently got a chance to trade for a foil one at a, at a pretty cheap price in Memphis, and I feel like the card hasn't seen a lot of play, but I feel like that card is is just fine being in the mid to late game, too, because I'm finding that, you know, if you get to that point where you've hit that parity level, you know, if you're a control, the blue-black control deck, and you're kind of at that point where, all right, well, my opponent and I have stabilized the board, nothing was really going on. You drop that guy, and there's a significant number of effects. One is it turns, you know, all those mana rocks, all your signets or whatever, into five fives. Even if you just have one or two of cards like that, five fives are pretty big. Yeah, that's uh. And and, and a lot of times, you know, if, if the artifact has been out, has haste. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you know, you just play that guy and bash for five. I mean, he's a finisher 
you know, his, if you, you know, if you, if you plus one at one time, I mean, even if you have three artifacts in play, that's a 12 life swing. Because they're losing six and you're gaining six. Oh, yeah, double. Right, because it's just, you know, and, and so I, I feel like it, it just does a lot without necessarily needing a ton of artifacts in play or in your deck. Um, it's not like the first one where I, I would, the first Tesseract where I really just want to be the artifact deck. I feel like the, the new one can just be, you can be a deck with artifacts. Obviously you want more than, you know, two or three. You still want a significant number of them, but I feel like it's, it's a little more flexible as far as the amount of artifacts that you have to have in your deck. Because um, the, the each, each one is, uh, pretty swingy, I think. For what it does. How many artifacts would you usually, like, for the most part, use Tezzeret uh, 2.0 as, usually as the minus ability? Like, the plus one is kind of like gravy, like, if you want yeah, to. Yeah, like, the plus one, you know, the plus one basically sets up the ultimate most of the time. Um, or I guess if you're looking for an answer, you can try to help, you know, you can use the plus one to set yourself up. Obviously, if you're the artifact deck, the card is nuts. You know, power or no. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're going to have a ton of it. So, you know, if, you, if you're talking like you have, you know, 10, 12 plus artifacts in your deck. Oh, wow. That would be nuts. Yeah, I mean, and it happens. You know, you get those decks where you, you know, you get a, quite a few of the artifact creatures and a metal worker. And you get a few, you know, a few mana rocks, maybe an equipment, you know, things like that. You know, all that stuff adds up pretty quickly. Um, but as far as putting a number on it, I don't know if I can necessarily, at, at this point, since I've only seen play a few times, I don't know if I can give you an exact number of you need to make sure you have X amount of artifacts in your deck. But I would say that the number needs to be, you know, it needs to be more than two or three. You yeah, know? that just seems, yeah. And otherwise, it just does it's not going to do very much, I don't think. Um, and, but I feel like it can, you know, it should be, like I said, I'm hesitant to put an exact number on it, but, you know, five plus because hopefully at that point, if it's a if it's a card you're trying to cast in the mid to late game as a finisher, which is what you know I'm describing its role as for us so far, um, you're going to have seen a lot of cards to that point. So it's very likely you already have an artifact in play. Or if you don't, that means they're still in your deck, and your deck is smaller than it was at the beginning of the game. So the first ability gains value because you're likely going to find one. The odds go up of finding one. Hmm. Okay. Does that makes sense. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> How's that? I like it. The, cool. I might take a shot. but Yeah. I, I mean, what's I, the worst I, that can happen? It it sucks and you take it out. Yeah, just, yeah. That's why I traded like... for the foil one. I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I have this insane Planeswalker and foil that's worth a ton more than what I traded for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And plus, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested, and in, maybe we can talk about this in a future one. I'm trying to change things up a little bit in my cube too, try to add some new cards that maybe are a little, fringe is the wrong word, but uh, a little different than, than what I've been playing just to try to, you know, get a slightly different play experience, maybe push a couple archetypes a little bit more as well, so. Yeah. I like it. I give it the thumbs up. Cool. Speaking of cool. Uh, the artifact, because we were talking about the, the artifact deck, I think when I think of the artifact deck, it's the main artifact deck in in Magic, at least the one that made me quit years ago, Talarian Academy. Yeah. Ugh, God, that yeah, that card made me quit. 
Ugh, so bad. <laughs> that was so badly designed. But I think that's definitely a card that gets so ridiculously good when you start including the power. Like Right. And once again, I think it's just because of a speed issue, not necessarily a numbers game. Because, you know, if you're playing power in your cube, if you're playing all your fast mana, you're not running... I mean, ideally, I, I don't even know if I want to say, use the word ideally, but typically you run the same number of artifacts as you do other card, you know, blue cards and red cards, green cards. Um, so you're not upping your artifact count to play it. So it's not like, oh, Talarian Academy is better because my cube has, you know, 60 artifacts instead of, you know, all the other colors only have 50. So yeah. it's not necessarily that. It's that you can get those artifacts into play quicker and therefore, Academy, you know, it just compounds the fast mana issue. You know what I mean? Where you get to just a ton of access to a ton of mana even earlier, speeding up the game. It's not necessarily a numbers game as far as number of artifacts, but it's a numbers game as far as how fast you can generate uh, abusive amounts of mana for, you know, turn three or turn four. Yeah, and that's essentially how the deck worked during Urza's as well. It's just, like, make a bunch of cheap... You know, make a bunch of cheap artifacts and then just abuse Academy. And that's another thing you can use with Academy is, like, the cards that untap, like Pestermite or uh, Palancron. Yeah, Infinite Combo with Palancron. And uh, what's that other one? Ugh. Man, I should remember. Time Spiral! Duh! Right? Time? Yeah. Yeah, nice card. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I hear. <laughs> but yeah, I think that kind of... That, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's still playable. You know, I think it's still fine and non-powerless, but that Absolutely. jump, it jumps so much with power, especially a mana, yeah, or not necessarily power with the artifact-based fast mana. Well, yeah. I, I think the ceiling just becomes way higher. You know? Yeah. I think the, 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 the floor is still roughly the same, but I think the ceiling is just way higher because of how fast you can, you can explode those into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be scary. Lots of lots of blue mana. Yay, blue mana. We like blue mana. All right, let's. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to bring up another one, and this is uh, one I mentioned earlier. I'll save. I'll save uh, one of them that you recently added to your cube for for you, or that you're thinking about adding. And I want to bring. I want to bring up another card that, like Ingature, is not something I would run in. Uh, my non-power cube, but I would definitely consider it for a power cube, and that's a card I mentioned earlier about black cards, and that's Inquisition of Kozilek. Um, I, I, you know, I like, I really like Duress and Thoughtseize in my cube, and Inquisition, while, you know, it's fine. The card is fine. But I feel like... Alright, well, apparently Comcast is being really annoying tonight, so I apologize for the disjointedness here on my side. Yeah, I guess uh, they really don't like Inquisition. Like they're I, Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe Comcast costs three or less. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I apologize for disjointedness, and we're not, you know, super pro editors yet, so we don't know necessarily how to put everything together to make it seem flawless without the apologies, but I'm just going to say it anyway, because I'm sure all of you guys have had internet problems at one point or another and, and understand. Anyway... As I was saying uh, about Inquisition is, you know, I really like Thoughtseize and Duress. You know, they're just really solid. <clears throat> but with Inquisition in a non-powered list, like I guess I feel like the best things you can take um, are going to be things like pieces of equipment, um, figure, figure of Destiny, 
Um, if you're the five color deck, you know, Magus of the Moon, you know, big problem cards. And while that's fine and all, I feel like those cards are all slow enough that you can deal with them later. While I feel like being able to inquisition somebody turn one or even turn two for that matter and hit a time walk, a ancestral turn one, a Sol ring on the play, I, you know, a mana crypt. I feel like once again, like we were talking about, uh, academy, I feel like the ceiling is just much, much higher of, of things that you can proactively get with inquisition with a powered list than with a non-powered list. Yeah, there's, like, I'm looking at my list, so I think there's a lot of general utility stuff, but the question is, like, if you, like, top deck up Inquisition or something, how useful that is kind of thing. It's like, well, he's already got Bob out. Cool. Or something. Yeah, but I mean, that, I mean that'll that happen. There's a lot of spells, you know, and we could go on a long rant about a lot of spells that are just not as good late as they are early. I mean, I think that just applies to a lot of things. Um, but I feel like Inquisition can be a big, a can solve bigger problems in powered list than in non-powered list. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, like with the Ancestral, because a lot of people when they think of power, or at least, I don't know, usually when I think of power, I think of like the Moxin and stuff like that. I don't really think of the blue spells, but yeah, they totally fit. All like Ancestral, all yeah, Ancestral, Time Walk, Time Twister, all those blue cards get hit. By, yeah. by Inquisition. All the fast mana, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, uh, Grim Monolith. I mean, all that stuff gets hit by Inquisition. <laughs> Every single one of it. Lotus, obviously. Uh, oh, yeah, that would be... I mean, the only thing it doesn't hit is Library, but, it, you know, it gets it gets Sol Ring, too, you know. So I, oh, I, yeah. There's, there, there's a way to actively discourage, you know, brokenness. So I, I would... I, I think if I ran a power list, I would definitely consider it. Having not not only one and not knowing, but I, I think it's a card I would definitely consider for sure. Yeah, I think that's a you know another on the on deck binder, the infinite size. But I don't know. It's something I actually have been considering, but like I think that's one of the cards that like I I think it's on the cusp. But yeah, I don't know if I really have room for it because yeah, like you said, it's it answers a lot of useful things. But I don't know. I think, at least for right now, I think Duress and Thoughtseize do that job a lot better. Well, sure. And I think that's fine, too. But I, you know, I guess it depends on how much of that kind of stuff you want. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just, I mean, just, I wish I had, <laughs> maybe I should expand my cube. I just don't have room. Yeah. I mean, if you're not finding it, but I, I think it can also help mitigate um, a lot of the brokenness that people don't like about Powered Lists because, you know, it also hits cards like uh, Mind Twist as well. Ah, that's true. Speaking of Mind Twist, that's another card that gets a lot better when you can power out Mana faster. Yeah, because, I mean, playing it fair, like, Time Spot, I mean, uh, Mind Twist is one of those cards that's, like, really good anyway, but, like, playing it fairly, quote-unquote, versus unfairly is a pretty big difference. Like, even, like, yeah, getting it out with something like a Soul Ring or or Mana Vault, especially it's like first for Mana Vault, and even if you don't get it till like turn four or something, it just mind twists completely their hand. It's like, oh, uh, thanks. That was fair. That was totally fair, kind of thing. But yeah, mind twist I think is one of those cards that yeah, if you play it fairly, 
like, play it on turn... Say, for example, you play it on turn three, or even if you play it on turn four with three and a black versus with mana accelerant shenanigans, like throwing a lotus in there to get their whole hand is just like, oh, broke. It's just nuts. But I think that's one of those cards that definitely is, is fine. Act more than fine. I think it's really good card without power. And I mean, it's it's stupid with or without power. I mean, let's yeah. get that straight. It's it's just that the the value goes up a lot when you get a chance to get that random discard earlier on. You know what I mean? Yeah. God, the random discard. That's just that's another dagger about it. Right. It's not like oh, you know, well at least you get to keep your lands. No, you might just not have any lands. Yeah, it's, oh, lay down your cards. It's like being hemmed for your hand. Yep, that's a pretty pretty accurate way of describing it. Yeah, and, and like, being hemmed is, is bad enough, just, like, getting all your cards. Oh, that's a, that's, that's got to hurt. Right. Uh, another one oh. of those. I mean, for six. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's some fairness. Uh, another one of the cards I think gets better with power is, like, Goblin Welder. One of those cards, like, you know, you're like, I think it's one of those fine cards in, like, red-based, I don't know, I think in red-based decks in general, but more like the red, rampy kind of decks that have, you know, like, Signets and Mind Stones, but, and then gets, brings, have, like, artifact-based finishers, like Worm Coil and Battlesphere and Sundering Titan. And, but, like... And you get to trade like your uh you get to trade your signets to use your lotus again for an explosion of mana. Oh yeah. Or like trade your mocks for a battle sphere. Mm-hmm. It's like sure, why not? Well keep welding battle spheres in and out with like right. whatever. It's like and right. the fact that yeah, the mocks in are really nice for that as well. That's just yeah, that's ridiculous. I I haven't had that happen yet with Battlesphere or Worm Coil, but Precursor Golem. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, Precursor. That's a card I've started to had grow on me a little bit more, is Precursor. Like, I've been testing it out, and I've been happy with it. It's pretty cool. Yep. Alrighty, uh, let's see. A couple of others I wanted to touch on. I, well, I would like to, to talk about a deck that uh, a lot of people say they have trouble drafting. Uh, whenever there's a deck or where there's cards that, you know, that wind up, whether it's in, in person or on the internet, um, a lot of people are very polarized about this deck. Either they're like, yeah, it's like the best deck and it's awesome and I draft it every time I can, or people are just like, no, I can't make it work. I've given up. And that's the, uh, wildfire or burning of Jin Yi decks. And I think those go up significantly in value when you're when you have access to the fast mana, and you know the mana rocks, because you know sacrificing the four lands is just completely debilitating to your opponent. While, hey, guess what? I still have mana. Still had all these. And and once again, you can do it much earlier in the game. You know, you can do it reliably on their turn three, uh, or on their turn four at the latest, um, where you're just basically uh, knocking away all their permanents um, while you get to keep some. It's just such a powerful play. And that's a little harder to do if you're, you know, if you have to work through it through, you know, uh, Sakura Tribe Elder into Cultivate, into some other things. You know, then, it, you know, even 
casting it on turn five instead of turn four is a, it's a big difference. Yeah, so I, I think those are decks that are very much helped by the artifact meta. Yeah, especially like Moxon, you know, just like really, and also Moxon tends to help cast the mana rocks, like turn, turn one, land Mox, Signet kind of thing. Sure. And I definitely think they, like that helps a lot with those, or like second turn Mox, Coalition Relic, good luck kind right. of thing. Right, charge it up, untap, six mana, <laughs> play land afterwards, go. Yeah. You know, especially if they're an aggressive deck, you know, and they have multiple creatures in play by that point. It's just, you know, obviously you just you cast it when it best serves you or whatever. But just being able to, once again, you know, it's kind of like upheaval is that, you know, you, you basically get to kind of, you get to basically restart the game, but you have mana in play and they don't. Mm-hmm, and that's fair. That's really fair. Right. And by fair, I mean, not not at all fair. Yeah, broken. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of others that we were going to talk about. Uh, another one is a uh, another six mana spell, uh, Time Spiral. Like, I think that's a card. That's definitely a card that I think is a great cube card, but I think it gets definitely a lot better. Or maybe not a lot better, but it gets a good chunk better with faster mana. Because you can, A, get to it quicker, and you can empty your hand a lot quicker. And you can also recover from it a lot easier. It's like, you know, you shuffle everything and and whatever, and you can play stuff out quicker. Oh, no, I was thinking of upheaval. My bad. With the, with the recovering. And that also right. is... Upheaval, I think, is just ridiculous. Yeah, upheaval huge. Yeah, I was supposed to say, upheaval is just ridiculous anyway, but I think Time Spiral gains a good amount of utility with the... Uh, right. The, the only drawback you get with Time Spiral is that... And I, I don't really consider this necessarily a drawback, but... Um, on this, in the same vein that you get to cast it earlier and empty your hand, you don't get to untap as many lands to cast spells post time spiral. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you don't get to art- untap your fast mana, but. Elizabeth, you're untapping your Talarian Academy. Oh, there we go. <laughs> then we did it. Then you got there. But okay, yeah, I'm I think... gonna untap my three lands: Academy, Bounce Land, Bounce Land. <laughs> and then cast like a. And then cast everything. Yay! Cast yeah. base scenario. Yay! <laughs> time spiral is awesome. I mean, time spiral is pretty cool anyway. But I was gonna say time spiral is really good anyway. But but you know we it's uh it's always fun to make up stories about how ridiculous things can be. Mm-hmm. Granted, you can't not allowed to use them necessarily as evaluation tools, but you know. No. Oh, there's another card we forgot to mention with uh, time spiral. Mars Wake. But, oh right. Yeah, that'd be pretty. Yeah, broken. once again, though, you know, it affects the lands, and but you know, getting it in play faster, always super nice. Yeah, I can't imagine if you know, casting something, for example, casting like a turn to Marari's Wake with a with a Lotus. I can't imagine losing that game. Like, no, I not at all. Don't lose very many games when I get to untap with uh, Marari's Wake in play. So, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Well, why don't you talk about I? We have one more here that I want to talk about, and I, I thought you added this card to your list recently, but I think I've been trying it out, and I haven't had much of a chance to give it a shot. Uh, Trinket Mage, it's still mostly just kind of testing it out, but it definitely is one that I don't think I would want to run in a non-powered list. Like I'm, I think I tried my commons list, but I don't even have my commons cube on me. Like somebody's borrowing it, 
But yeah. I think that's one where I think I have ten targets, and I think I asked the person who's borrowing it, like, what do you think of Trinket Mage in that list? He's like, meh. Like, that sounds right. But I think Trinket Mage is definitely one that gets a lot. We make the jump from a rare cube to a powered list that has a bunch of fast mana. Like, the Moxon definitely make it a lot better. So you have five five targets, and then with the Moxon, and then, like, uh, Lotus, Black Lotus, Soul Ring. Soul Ring. Mana that, Crypt. Yeah, Mana Vault. Crypt, Mana Vaults. That's like what nine targets right there. It's a lot. I mean, it's it's a big increase in in the amount of of ways to get value out of your trinket mage. That's for sure. I mean, and then if you're playing something like, you know, I, I guess if you're playing, you know, Tezzeret one, then you know you also get more value out of having and the fast money get more value out of having vault uh, key in your list as well. Um. Yeah, although I'm not really a big fan of it, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. me neither, but, but you know what I mean? Like, that could be... I, I'm definitely not playing Vault Key in non-fast mana Tezzeret 1.0 lists, but I think I, I would definitely be tempted to if I have those cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's just the way I feel about it. So, I mean, it gets all that stuff, and it's just really easy to get to get value out of it. And, of course, you know, you still have all your regular targets, too, like your engineered explosives and your skull clamps and your bone splitters and, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, it's kind of like a it's like a weirder uh, Stoneforge Mystic, in a way. In a way. Like, not perfect analog, but the same Maybe way you can Stoneforge fetch something. Stoneforge Mystic is a weirder Trinket Mage. Ah, uh, yes. The light bulb. Ever think of that? Mm-hmm. I didn't until just now. But that See works. that? Turn it around. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there, there are go. other cards, too, I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of the cards we listed have a significant um, a significant change in power. But, I mean, there's obviously other cards, you know, we mentioned Upheaval earlier, um, cards like Armageddon, um, you know, cards like uh, Yawgmoth's Will, uh, especially for, for blue-based um, decks. Then these are all cards, you know, these, these are all cards that definitely increase in value with having power and things like Lotus in your deck. Um, Wheel of Fortune, I guess, would be another one. Um, yeah, just so you can empty your hand. Obviously very good anyway, but I think gain even more value. Now, now Geddon, obviously, is one of those situations where if you're the one with the fast mana, Geddon is even sweeter. But if you're not the one with the fast mana, Geddon gets a little more awkward. Yeah. A little more awkward. Same thing with cards like... Uh, uh, Hakori Dust Drinker, you know, um, the artifact uh, that does the same thing. Winter Orb? Frostbringer, yes. Winter Orb. Um, you know, once again, depends on on the controller. You know, if, you, if you're the one with the fast mana, those cards are way sweet. If you're the one not with the fast mana, those cards become significantly more awkward. So, and I think yeah. all, the, all the land, you know, all the cards that directly affect lands, you know, because we already mentioned things like Wildfire, um, all the land-affecting cards definitely change in valuation some, uh, depending on who has the fast mana. Yeah, because, yeah, or, like, also a smokestack. I forget to mention the smokestack. Sure, and, uh, braids. Braids, uh, tangle wire. Right. Stuff like that. But, I mean, they're all kind of in the same kind of vein. Same kind of sure, that's right. Because, you know, if you have you know, two lands and two manas and two mana artifacts in play, and they just have two lands in play or three lands in play, 
Um, you know, a card, even a card like Tangle Wire is just going to be significantly different. Um, it, it, depending on whether or not you have the permanent advantage or not. And with that fast mana, it allows you to get just more permanence and play quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, I think you summed that up really well. Another point, another card uh, on the big ups, like Balance, I think, is another one that's... Oh, man, yeah, Balance is ridiculous. I don't know why I didn't mention that one. A card is ridiculous, because you're just like, empty my hand with all these mana artifacts. Balance. Yeah. <laughs> Mind twist you. Right. Mind twist you. Get your creatures. You may have to sacrifice lands, because I don't need to play my lands because of... You know, having attacks and play, and you basically once again being able to kind of restart the game, but with a big advantage. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a good fair. one. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Well, now you were mentioning something to me uh, before the show um, about like a a module of cards, like an expansion of cards to swap in or out, um, and we've briefly touched on and, and thought about like a multiplayer addendum for example but you had a, a different one do you want to talk about that a little bit uh yeah sure and this is kind of an idea i've had brewing in my head you know and i haven't really had time to really test it out or anything like that but like with multi some multiplayer modules they switch out cards that are better like the multiplayer module like they would switch out have a certain like a side box of cards that they would switch in for example, uh, they would have like uh, Luminarch Ascension in the sideboard in the in the uh, multiplayer expansion, and then they would bring it in, you know, substitute a different card. And I was thinking of doing something like a Legacy module, because a lot of these cards are you know like non-Legacy legal. Like the uh, when I was I was because I was thinking about it in terms of like looking at the Legacy ban list. I think well, I was even something to, like Mana Drain. Yeah, Mana Drain too is just. Advantage, a huge mana advantage for you. Yeah, and I think that it could even fit under the uh, fast mana kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think it can definitely be be part of that conversation. Yeah, because essentially counter their spell and then put yourself up two mana or however much mana. But I think that's another example. And when I was cons- looking at the cards, they kind of go along with the you know they, they they're a lot they take out a lot of the fast mana and a lot of the cards that are really on that super upper tier of cards, like, uh, you know, the Moxon, uh, Ancestral Recall Time Walk, Yogg Will, and stuff like that. And the thing I was thinking of was doing the same kind of thing with the module, and having a list, like, taking out, like, if you're cubing with people who don't really want to play with those super powerful, uh, you know, vintage cards, per se, to have, like, a module on the side to swap out, to swap out. And for example, when I was looking at my list, I had five blue cards, that were uh, not legacy legal, so I would have five blue cards in that uh, module, and then you know if I wanted to do the legacy swap, I would swap those five blue cards, and there wouldn't really be anything like I could take out ancestral recall and put an ancestral vision. Like I guess I could do that, but I don't know. I don't know if that's really the best thing to do, but that's certainly. Yeah, an option. I don't think it needs to necessarily be an analog. Like, yeah. like a less powerful version of the card, even though I think that example that you specifically cited is actually a good example of having an analog. Um, yeah, but like but time time warp versus time walk. Like, I wouldn't want to run time warp anyway. Right, that's that's a slightly less, you know, accurate one. Yeah, um, but I think it would most... In a, in a multiplayer module, for example, I would definitely want time stretch. Oh, yeah. 
um, just because of the nature of games. But, you know, you just have, well, here, here are basically the first five bench warmers in blue, and we're going to swap them in, you know, for these five first stringers. And yeah, that's essentially what I was going to, yeah, just have like whatever the cards in the on deck binder and like, well, do I want to, obviously not taking them at random, it's like, well, uh, whatever. And I think that's also an interesting way to kind of test cards out to see maybe, like, is this card good enough? Well, I'll, I'll do the legacy swap. And of course it applies to other colors, like black I think had five, and I think white had just balance, green had just survival, and I forget what red had. Red had something, but I can't remember. And then there's... Yeah, that sounds right. And then, like, there was, like, and I think that covers most of these cards, except for Time Spiral and Grim Monolith. And I don't know, depending on how, like, Time Spiral's just been tearing up Legacy. I don't know if it's going to stay unbanned or whatever. But I think for the most part it covers, like, these kind of yeah, uh, I don't, really powerful cards. Yeah, I think cards. it'll stay unbanned. I just think, I mean, the, the deck has a really tough time against the Counterbalance decks. And I think, you know, we're going to see a, a rise in Counterbalance again. Um, so, and those, those, it's just such a problem beating that deck. And, you know, also it's just not everybody gets to play that deck because, you know, there aren't the candelabra of Taunos's hanging around. Yeah, no kidding. They're, they're really expensive. But that's an idea I was kind of tossing around in my head. I don't know how great an idea it is, but, you know, if I could get a consistent play group, I would, you know, give it a shot, but I don't really have a consistent play group. It just... Uh, it's annoying, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Sure. But yeah, I think that kind of covers it with the legacy module. I probably gonna, I might do an article about it, like next, you know, in the coming weeks. I have stuff in my head that I want to, you know, get articles on, and whatever. But yeah, I think that that kind of covers it. It's an idea. I'll probably flesh it out when I do my article on it. But yeah. Right, and it's, I think I, I think it would be good for us to maybe in a future uh, episode at a future time uh, talk about the multiplayer module as well. And maybe see if we can compile some information on on things you can do. Uh, a good friend of mine in, in Philadelphia, Dan, has a uh, mainly his cube is used mo- mostly for multiplayer. So he definitely has a lot of cards like Luminarch Ascension in his cube that uh, I don't necessarily play in mine because you know what you have to you have to cater to your playgroup and and kind of what they like and and what you do with it in, in order to get the most enjoyment out of your cube. So. Yeah, and that's definitely a good idea to do, to consider your group. Right, because if you have a bunch of people, you know, if you have a bunch of people complaining about your cube or not enjoying themselves because, you know, Teferi's not in your cube anymore, then, you know, either you need to find more people or you need to, uh, you know what, I'm going to have to leave Teferi in. Yeah, or something like that. I don't know. And I think that's also, I don't know, I mean, I'm definitely not going to put in Teferi just because somebody's going to complain about it or whatever. But I think... Like, uh, and I think that's another thing in terms of, uh, you know, like the power cards versus non-power. It could also be kind of a, like a playgroup thing. Like if they prefer power, like some, you know, that may be this reason why some people want a cube is because of the powerful stuff. And that could be an issue. I mean, if, you know, if your group wants to play with that, I mean, it's not like a slight on power versus non or whatever, but it's something like if your group prefers like, non-power and doesn't want to draft your cube if it doesn't, then, you know, that could be an issue or, you know, something like that where it may be out of your hands kind of thing. And I guess sure. I'm done. Okay. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. Well, cool, so. man. Well, that's okay. I, I occupied it for a long time today, so that works just fine for me. Yeah, I guess that was kind of a shared soapbox, but, yeah, that was fun.
Well, cool, man. Well, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that. I think uh got a chance to, to say some important, meaningful stuff. And when I say important, I mean to, to cube, not necessarily to world hunger or anything like that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, th- th- this is pretty fun. I, th- I think this is a good topic. And uh, like I said, if you guys have other topics that you want us to talk about, whether they be, uh, you know, big topics like a multiplayer cube or small topics like, what sleeves do you guys use? What what have you found works best? You know, let us know, man. Let us know. I I the more people I think that listen to the show and, and become more aware of it, uh, we definitely want to help. You know, cater to you guys too. You know, catering to our playgroup here, to our audience, and 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 talk about the thing types of things that you guys want to hear. Yeah, and yeah, definitely let us. Uh, we know we have ways to contact us. We'll go over those real quick. Uh, the show email mtg the third power at gmail dot com. And uh, my Twitter, uh, Usman the Rad. And mine, uh, Anthony42. Um, let us know, too, if you guys get a chance. Uh, I, I actually did register a separate Twitter for the show. Um, if that's something you guys would like to see and, and instead of maybe two separate people, and, you know, the the Twitter one would, would definitely just be about show-specific things and cube-specific things, you know, not me complaining about, you know, or making Jace jokes or whatever. <laughs> Let us know if you if you'd like to see that if that would be interesting to you guys. Um, of course, there's the we have a, a thread on the MTG Salvation forums uh, in the Cube forum about the show, the Third Power podcast thread, uh, and you have your blog. Yep, at uh, I'd rather be cubing dot wordpress dot com. I'll probably add. I'm like if I have some more time, I'm probably going to add you know my two cents about what I think of the cards from uh, New Phyrexia. In other words, me gushing about Karn. And then me saying these other cards suck. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely get to those for sure as as more of them come out and and we get a chance or you get a chance to test some more of them and uh, we see more of the cards. We'll definitely be talking about them for sure. By the way, in case you guys are wondering, what is that one? Surgical extraction? What is that called? Yeah, I think. Oh, I don't know. Is that what it's called? I, mean, I forget the name. The Biobox uh, promo. Yeah, uh, sur- I think it's surgical extraction. Yeah, don't play that card in cube. No. Just saying. I really hope there's good Phyrexian mana cards in cube coming. Come on, Wizards. Please don't let me down on that. Yeah, I mean, it might be pretty cool. might be pretty cool. And they, uh, if they're Phyrexian mana, they may or may not be good with uh, power as well. So Ah, yes. It depends on if they're colorless. Like, I wonder, because right now all we've seen is Phyrexian mana plus colored mana. I wonder if we're going to see, like, you can pay two life or two colorless. Or like, hmm. you know, or three colorless. You know what I mean? Instead of like, uh, you know, all the ones we've seen is like a blue mana or two life, a black mana or two life. Wonder if we'll see like two colorless mana or two life. Just kind of curious. That would be know. nice, like a colorless one. Yeah, yeah. Even though it is kind of colorless, but actually colorless or yeah. actually an artifact. So I can hope. We'll see. I, I really hope. We will see. Yeah. Well, man, there's only one more uh, thing left to do here. Very true. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. Fifth on, green sun rising. I see a green sun rising. Sorry. <laughs> I'm done. Seriously, I'm done. Oh, okay. I guess we can I'm end out. on that. <laughs> yep. All right, guys. See you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.